0: Church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's service.
1: The... We're going to open up our Bibles this morning uh, as we continue in our series in the Book of First Corinthians, and I want to share this message with you uh, from First Corinthians chapter eleven. If you'll join me there, First Corinthians chapter 11. Now, if you are familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians, you know that the range of topri- topics swings wildly, that there are so many things that the Apostle Paul addressed, the questions that the Corinthians had uh, brought to him. And uh, one of the questions that is addressed here in our scripture this morning is, is uh is one that was really meant for the time and the culture that they were in regarding head coverings. And uh, the, the question that they had asked Paul was about, you know, should should men be wearing something on their heads or should women be wearing something on their heads? And I believe that that was important for the time and the culture. Um, but there is a deeper lesson behind what Paul spoke about head coverings that is very, very important for us today. And we're going to read one scripture. Uh, how many of you, let me see your hand, if you've ever ridden a bus? Of course, we've all ridden a bus from time to time, right? And uh, so if you were going to take a bus, let's say you uh, you bought a ticket on, an, on a, a Greyhound bus. We have a Greyhound station here in Virginia Beach and you bought a ticket that was going to Washington, D.C., for example. And what would you think if you bought your ticket and you uh, climbed on board and sat down in your seat and, uh, and the owner of the bus stands up and says, All right, everybody, just do whatever you want to do. Hopefully we'll get to Washington. Do you think that that would be a successful trip uh, to Washington? Uh, just do whatever you think is best, everybody. Uh, this is not going to work the same way as uh, as if we came to church this morning and everybody just gathered together and we just said, hey, everybody, just let's uh, do whatever we want. In the book of Judges, uh, it's interesting to me that one of the reason that Judges is such a weird book in the Old Testament is because again and again, it says this phrase, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Did You ever read that? in the book of Judges. It says it several times. And no wonder Judges is a book filled with weird stories and weird accounts of people who went off the deep end and did weird things. Well, let's go back to our example of riding on the bus to Washington, D.C. So if you got on a bus with 50 other people and everybody wanted to get to Washington, D.C., what is the first thing you would begin looking for? A driver <laughs> Of course, you need a driver. Okay, so you're looking around at 50 other people that are on this bus. Now, there's a, a, a good man there who has uh, you know he has a successful life and uh, he's got a nice clothing, he's got his bags packed, uh, but if you look at him, you'll notice he's got those really dark sunglasses and a white cane. He's blind. Are you going to put him behind the wheel? Now, he might be a great guy. He might have a wonderful personality, but he is not qualified to drive the bus, right? Okay, now let's let's think about another lady who's there and she's got her ticket and she's got her four children there with her and they're going to travel to go see some family. And, uh, and, and she might be a wonderful mother and she might be a wonderful person, but she's never driven... Vehicle in her entire life. Would you put her behind the wheel? I hope not. You don't want her learning on the job as she's got the lives of 50 people and four children in, in the bus. What I'm trying to show you this morning is that somebody's got to drive the bus. The bus doesn't get there on its own. If you're going to choose a driver, are you going to put a four year old behind the wheel? I hope not. If you want to survive, you want to make the trip. Are you going to put someone who's jumpy and afraid of their own shadow? No, you're going to start ruling people out, right? And of the 50 people who are on the bus, there might be only two or three or maybe four who are actually qualified and safe to drive that bus. In fact, in the state of Virginia uh, and, and the United States, there is a license that is required to drive a bus that large a commercial driver's license and so if you don't have that license you can be uh, pulled over you can be fined you can be jailed to operate a a vehicle like that with that many people aboard that is a high responsibility isn't it and if somebody is caught driving that bus who shouldn't be there somebody's going to get in trouble Now, the bus that we are talking about this morning is a far more important bus than a greyhound. We are talking this morning about the family and the home. Every one of you, you have a bus. Your family is a bus. You are going somewhere. And in our scripture that we're about to read, we're going to discover God's plan for who drives the bus. In marriage and in family, if we are going to make our destination, if we're going to reach our fulfillment and our destiny, then we've got to be willing to let the right person drive the bus. Are you with me? Okay, nobody's angry yet, right? First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Let's read the scripture together. The point of this whole chapter is here in verse 3. And this is what it says. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, that the head of woman is man, and that the head of Christ is God. Now, when a preacher reads a perfect verse like that that has three points, he can't resist. So that's the message today. Uh, the title of this message, Who's? driving the bus. Let's pray. Father, we've come by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for your wisdom and grace revealed through your word today. I'm praying for your people that we would embrace, God, the roles that you have given us to play. God, that you would help us to understand authority in your kingdom, that there is blessing when we are surrendered to the right position. And we give you glory for all that you are going to do in Jesus' mighty name, God's people would say, amen. amen. Who's driving the bus? So I want to begin with this thought. And for you military, I probably don't have to preach this too hard. Because you understand if you are successful in your military career, career it's because you already understand this. And the point is, chain of command is important. Chain of command is is important. And the reason that it's important is because when you have a proper chain of command, every soldier, every, uh, every airman, every marine, every sailor, every person has their commander, their commanding officer, right? There is no question, when the chain of command is in its place, then every person who's doing every job has someone to go to and ask, am I doing this right or am I doing this wrong? Am I following the instructions? Not only that, but when there is a proper chain of command, if something goes wrong, we know who to blame. Dave was explaining to me a few days ago in the Navy how if something goes wrong on a ship, that there is a, a captain and no matter if he is fallen asleep, if he's, you know, at the time that he's resting and something goes wrong while he is resting, it doesn't matter because, uh, because if that, whatever has gone wrong, it's still his fault because he's captain of the ship. And there are, uh, there are examples of this happening many times. And, and the captain could say, you know, uh, I was sleeping at the time. It's not my fault, really. It was somebody else's fault. But because it happened when he was the captain of the ship, the responsibility falls upon him. And so uh, I picked up this, uh, this training manual that I found online, and it explains to us why chain of command is important. I want you to listen carefully. The chain of command is a system used to ensure that every individual receives instructions for a particular task from only one supervisor. See, in other words, you don't have five bosses telling you what to do. You have one boss. The chain of command is important because you don't want to have five bosses. Have you ever seen a two-headed monster? They truly are a monster, or a five-headed monster, or a 10-headed monster. We, they are monsters on purpose. Uh, When you have proper chain of command, you have one boss, one person to look to. That is so important. The chain of command is important because it is an accountability chain from the highest office or position within the chain to the lowest element. The chain of command assists commanders at all levels to achieve their primary function of accomplishing the organization or unit's assigned mission while caring for personnel and property in their charge. In other words, chain of command is important if we're going to get something done. Now, you might have an argument if the thing that you're doing is right or not. But as a soldier, right, as someone underneath that command, it's not your job to question. It's your job to obey. Am I still preaching to the right church here this morning? It allows for members to give and receive information. In other words, the chain of command is a tool for communication. It is the orders that come down from the generals and from the commander-in-chief. Those orders are decided up at the top, and then they are filtered down through the chain of command to every individual person under that command. It is a way of communication. And guess what? It's not a one-way communication. Sometimes... Uh, the command that is given doesn't make sense to the guy who's operating. Like uh, if you've got a radar technician and the command is to, you know, to make sure to watch that. And well, the radar tech, he's looking at his screen, and he says, well, this is not right. So he can report back to his commanding officer. And that officer can take it up to his officer. And it's a way of communication between the top and the bottom. That is a good thing. That is necessary if we're going to have communication. Every order and instruction should be issued through the chain of command. In other words, uh, this soldier isn't telling this one what to do. If they're on the same level, they don't receive orders from one another, do they? The way that it works is when you have a commanding officer, I get my orders from you, and I'm not going to listen to what my buddy says over here, because he doesn't know what's going on. It is a chain of command, and it works well when it's in place. Let's go back to our bus for a second. Now, you might have 50 people on that bus who are well-trained in following maps and navigation. You might have 50 people who know north, south, east, and west. You might have 50 people who have even traveled that route many times before. But how many understand there's only one? who's got his hands on the wheel. If you have 50 people trying to drive the bus, at the same time, you got one person with a hand here, and another person with a hand, and you got a foot here, and you got another person's foot here, and nobody can see, and everybody's arguing, even about which station to listen to on the radio, you're not going to get anywhere, are you? In fact, you're probably putting your life in danger if you have more than one trying to drive the bus. And so it's wonderful to have, uh, have a bus full of good information. The driver has to be able to hear. If there's a navigator, he's going to say, oh, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. I better listen to him. It's very important. If You know, you hear somebody from the back row who says, i got to go to the bathroom. And the driver's the one who says, okay, not this exit, but the next exit, we're going to pull off and we're going to, take a break for a potty break right but see if <laughs> if there's more than one person making those decisions I'm telling you it turns in to chaos there has to be a chain of command now my sermon is not about military this morning my sermon is not about driving buses my sermon is about your life and who is driving the bus in your house. See, God has built a chain of command into family life. And when we surrender to this chain of command, God will cause us to thrive. Not only that, but He will enable us to make advancements into our destiny, in where He wants to take us. There is an amazing story in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus encounters a military man. And you know the story, he is a, uh, he's a centurion. And uh, this centurion, I'm not going to take all the time to read it, but just to paraphrase, is that this centurion has a servant who is sick. And uh, he comes to Jesus and he says, Please, Lord, would you pray for my servant? Would you heal him? Jesus says, Yes, of course, I'd be happy to heal your servant. Let's go to him now. Jesus was willing to follow this Roman centurion. I want to go to your house. I'll lay hands on this servant, and I'm going to heal him. This was Jesus' idea, right? But the Roman centurion says to him, No, Lord, I am a centurion. I understand how authority works. He says, I'm a person who is under authority. I have a commanding officer. He tells me what to do, and I do it. The other thing he tells Jesus is I have I have uh, soldiers under my command. If I tell them to do it, then they do it, right? And he says to Jesus, listen, you don't need to go to my house. All you need to do is say the word, and there are spiritual forces at work who will obey your command. You don't need to travel all the way there. Listen, Jesus, I know that there are forces under your authority. You just speak the word. They'll follow your instruction and my servant will be healed. Now, Jesus, think of this revelation. A man under authority, having authority, and he's reminding Jesus, yeah, you have some forces under your authority too, Jesus. So just use them. And listen to what Jesus said to this man. Verse 10 of Matthew 8, he says, When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Jesus equates this understanding of authority in life, knowing who drives the bus. This is great faith. I haven't found faith like this, not, in it, not even in all of the Jewish people, not even in all of Israel. This is what great faith looks like. Are you with me? Great faith is not about how often you go to church. Great faith that causes Jesus to go, boom, wow, this is amazing. Great faith is understanding I am under authority and there are those under my authority. That's faith. That is a trust in God. It is an acknowledgement of God. This is how you made the world. This is how you made me. This is how you've caused us to thrive in authority. Understanding that there are some buses that I drive in life. There are a few buses God has called you to drive. There are many more buses that God has caused you to be sitting in the seat. And that is okay. God wants you to be a participant. He wants you to be a passenger. He doesn't want you to be a driver. Okay? Everybody with me so far? So the the question is, the real thing we've got to figure out this morning, which bus are you driving and which bus are you a passenger? Because if God has called you to be a passenger and you're trying to climb over the driver and get in control, guess what? You are working against your own interests. You are causing danger and harm to yourself and others. And also, if you're on a bus that God has called you to be the driver, but you're sitting in the back seat, guess what? You're not going anywhere. And so there are places in life, there are roles that God has called you to play. Sometimes God wants you to be a driver. And many other times, God wants you to be a passenger. So let's figure out what our scripture says, when to drive and when to shut up and be a passenger and a helpful passenger. I believe that these three principles that the Lord gives us are in order of difficulty, that they are not in, a part- they're, they're not in just random order, but Jesus has given them to us in order of most difficult to least difficult. Okay? Let's read the scripture again, and then you'll figure out why I say that. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Remember, most difficult is first, least difficult is last. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. That's the most difficult. The head of the woman is man. This is also as difficult, but not quite as difficult as the first one. And the third one, which is obvious, the head of Christ is God. So I'm going to take these in reverse order because we find a great example in the least difficult of these. And the first one that I want to talk about this morning, the head of Christ is God. In other words, in this bus, talking about the authority between Jesus and And God the Father, you know who's driving that bus? The Father. The Father is driving that bus, and Jesus is a willing and helpful passenger. This truth is all over the Word of God. Now, we're thinking about the relationship between Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Father. Listen to what the Word of God says about Jesus. Now, there's going to be some contrast here. You got to follow along with me. Are you ready? So the Bible says that Jesus is God. We studied that on Friday night, that he is divine in nature. That means that he is not like you because he is God. He is creator. Listen to what the Bible says about Jesus. He is Colossians 1 5. He is the image of the invisible God firstborn over all creation by him all things were created uh, things that in heaven on earth visible invisible he is before all things and in him all things consist that's a pretty big statement isn't it John 1 verse 3 all things how many things all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made can I, can I say that about you no. There was nothing made without his power. That means Jesus is creator. Jesus blew the minds of his followers in John 8:58 when he said, "Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am." He took upon himself the title that God gave to himself in front of Moses. Remember, Moses was speaking to God through the burning bush. God commissioned him to go and speak to Pharaoh and to speak to the people of Israel. And Moses was nervous about this. And he says, who should I say sent me to my people? And God says, you need to address them like this. Say, I am that I am has sent you. That's pretty confusing. I am that I am has sent you. In other words, this title means that God is not dependent on any outside source, right? You are dependent on outside sources. You didn't have a decision about whether you're going to be born or not, but you were born. And guess what? If you don't have oxygen, you're you're not going to be here anymore. So you are dependent on outside sources. If you don't have water, you're going to die after a couple of days. If you don't have food, you're going to die after a couple of weeks, right? Those, you are dependent on outside sources. If it gets too hot, you're going to die. If it gets too cold, you're going to die. So you have to exist in this bubble of outside help. Am I right? But God's not like that. He says, I am that I am. He always has been. He always was. He always will be. And when Jesus says before Abraham, I am, he's making the claim that he is God. He is God. He is creator. Hebrews 13 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Revelation 1 11, Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega, first and the last. Can I tell you, Jesus is a big deal? He is preeminent over all creation. I'm making this point today. Because it's so important that you understand. Jesus is God, but he is submitted to the will of somebody else. If there is anybody who is able to make decisions for himself, it's Jesus, right? If there is anyone who is qualified to say when he wakes up in the morning, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to do this and not this. Jesus is qualified to make that decision. But when the Bible speaks about Jesus' earthly ministry, and indeed his entire life, what you will realize is that this great creator of all things, that he is submitted to the will of somebody else. He is not driving the bus. This, if you'll catch this, it's going to change your life. John 5, verse 30, when Jesus says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus is a passenger on this bus of the will of God. God is the one in control. John 14, 10. I am in the Father, the Father is in me. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the work. This is so important. This is from this foundation, you're going to understand why it's important for you to be a good passenger in the roles of your life. Jesus was a man submitted to the will of of his father. In other words, when Jesus came to the earth, he did not come to do his own thing. He did not come to make decisions on his own authority. He didn't come to say this is what I think and this is what I think and that's what I think and this is no. If there was anyone qualified to speak on their own authority, it was Jesus. But he refused to climb into the driver's seat. He says, I will not drive this bus. I am following the will of my father. As he's there in the garden of Gethsemane, he's struggling. You remember, he's struggling with the will of God because he understands where the Lord is driving him to. He's looking out the front window and realizing, oh, no, the cross is before me. Lord, your will is taking me. You're driving this bus directly to a place where there's lots of pain and difficulty and death. My blood is going to be spilled, Lord. And he's there in the garden. You can picture him in the passenger side of the bus talking to his father. He's saying, Lord, are you sure this is the right way? Father, are you sure? No, don't turn that blinker on. We got to go this way. And yet finally, at the end of his prayer, what does he say? Not my will, but your will be done. He struggled with the place God was taking him. But he ultimately, what did he do? He sat back down, folded his hands, and said, okay, Lord, I'll be your passenger. Even though it's painful, even though it's hard even though i don't want to go there but lord you're driving you're the you're the driver now it's easy right here to say amen isn't it thank god that jesus submitted his will to the father because without that submission without that prayer in that garden without the great drops of blood that were pouring from his face without that you wouldn't be saved today it is his surrender opened up the mercy of God. And we are able to approach him now through the blood of Jesus because of Jesus' surrender to the Father's bus driving. Okay? Now it's going to start getting uncomfortable because that was the easiest of the three in our scripture. That the head of Christ... Is God. Now the next in order of easy. <laughs> Things only get more difficult from here. Remember what this scripture that we're we're tackling these in backwards order. It says the head of man, head of man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So we're gonna back up one and we're gonna talk about the head of woman is man. Now, immediately, there's gonna be pushback from the world. There's gonna be pushback from the way the world thinks. There's gonna be pushback, and every woman is gonna say, uh uh-uh. uh, ain't nobody in charge of me. See, we have, you know, uh, we have uh, women's rights, we have a women's movement, we have, and I'm not here today. Don't get me wrong. I'm not here to say that women are incapable of doing great things, because they are. Women are capable, in many ways, of doing greater things than men. But what Paul is trying to teach us is that there is a bus in the family. There is a bus in marriage. And that bus is able to travel most effectively (laughs) when the woman... Is in the passenger seat. There is support for this all over the Word of God. Before you get mad at me, remember the context of this scripture. He is speaking about God ordained authority in the home. Now I'm not saying that a woman cannot own a business. I'm not saying that women can't uh, can't be politicians, for example, and have places of authority. All of that is outside of the realm that we're talking about this morning. I'm speaking specifically about in the home and in the church. Listen to what the Bible says. Ephesians 5, The head, The husband is the head of the wife. In the same way that Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Let me ask you, who's in charge of this church today? It's not Adam Dragoon. This is not my church. I am, yes, it's Jesus. Thank you, Ms. Ernestine. Jesus is the head of this church. And guess what? We are all submitted to Jesus together. That's the way the church works best. If somebody else is in charge of the church, we're in trouble. You know why? Because whoever else is trying to be in charge is trying to sit on Jesus' lap while he's driving the bus. That is not going to work. You are not going to get anywhere if somebody's trying to sit on Jesus while Jesus is trying to drive. He's the one in charge of his church. Now, Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians, this is an illustration. Jesus in charge of the church is the same way that the husband is in charge of a home. Don't throw any elbows. (laughs) This is what the word of God reveals. Ladies, now this is difficult. This is difficult because it goes against your programming. I mean, we all have some programming, don't we? Genesis 3, verse 16. This is part of the curse that God pronounced on the woman. All the way back to the garden. Listen to what it says. To the woman, he said, G- Genesis 3:16. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and conception in pain. You shall bring forth children. And here's the key. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So there are forces at work in every marriage. That from the beginning, part of the curse of sin is that women, there is this this desire to be for your husband. The idea there is the desire is to control or to manipulate or to drive the bus. The idea is that the woman is going to have to fight this desire because this inherent battle is taking place inside of every woman. The desire shall be to drive the bus, but he's going to be the bus driver. Now, that can be hard. You know why? Because sometimes the wife looks at the husband and says, he can't drive. (laughs) Have you ever tried to be in the car when he's driving? It's crazy. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what he's doing. And truly, as the bus driver, a man is called to drive well. Don't be an idiot behind the wheel. You know, a good bu- I've been on some good bus rides and I've been on some scary bus rides. I'm telling you, uh, we took some bus rides in Romania, Bulgaria, man, and I thought I was going to die. I was you know, heart check with every turn. Lord Jesus save me, right? People these bus drivers got the big wheel and they're going fast and they're they're taking sharp turns and uh, they're going around potholes and and you know, you're in the you're in the back of the bus like holding on for life trying not to fall out a window that's what some marriages look like because sometimes men we're going to talk in just a minute are not submitted to Christ and when they are they cause great problems for anyone who's in the bus I want to tell you That biblical womanhood is a beautiful thing. We're currently living in a generation that wants to tell us that men and women are no different. That wants to promote this idea that, hey, a woman can become a man or a man can become a woman. What's the big deal? There's no difference between the two anyway, right? Wrong. Amazing differences that God has designed into the genders. And that is a beautiful thing. That God has designed a man and a woman to fit together well. And when a woman will receive what the Bible says about being a passenger in this bus ride of marriage and family, when a woman will receive that is a beautiful and a wonderful and attractive thing for a man. 1 Peter 3, verse 5, reading from the New Living Translation, says this. This is how holy women of old made themselves beautiful. Say beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. True beauty is not makeup. It's not clothing. True beauty is not your hairstyle. True beauty in the eyes of God is faith. Trusting God by accepting authority. And God knows when that guy is a bad bus driver. And he says that when you will still trust me, this is beautiful. Verse 6, for instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. Did Abraham have it all together? Heck no. Did Abraham... Have his life mapped out? Did he, did he smoothly make every turn? Did he apply the brakes gently every time? Oh, no. Oh, no. Sometimes Abraham took some wild turns, man. He made some big mistakes. But the Bible says Sarah trusted God by submitting to her husband. And that is what made her beautiful. Now, I am not saying this morning, don't get me wrong, I am not saying that you should put up with abuse. That's a completely separate sermon. That there is no place, if if the husband is driving off of a cliff, you need to get out of that bus, okay? There is a place, if there is abuse going on, if there is sexual immorality going on, then this is a totally different subject. But in a marriage where the husband is striving to be submitted to christ then a wife needs to be a passenger now let me address very quickly there are situations where often there there's no man in the house there are broken homes there are widows there are orph- orphans there's there's a divorces that have taken place. And in that case, listen, somebody's got to drive the bus. And I have seen women step up to the plate and do better job than men many times. There are stories in the Old Testament. There is a uh, there is a prophetess named Deborah. You read her story maybe uh, in the book of Judges. Weird book, right? Uh, in the book of Judges where there is a man who's called to be a prophet but he's weak. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to stand in the place of righteousness. So guess what? Deborah, a woman, steps up and says, I'll drive the bus. There's no other men around who are going to do it. So I'll do it. And guess what? God used her. But only when the man would not step up and take his place. He refused to get in the driver's seat. So Deborah said, we got to go somewhere. So in that case, God blessed When she drove the bus, I'm not saying it's impossible. There are times when women are called to do these very difficult tasks. Single mothers is a great example of a woman who now finds herself in the driver's seat because the husband has jumped out the door. Says, I'm out of here. And now a single mother has to not only provide for her children, but also make the important decisions of her life. So, remember where we are. The head of Christ is God. Harder than that, the head of every woman is man. But the most difficult of all is the last one mentioned first in our scripture. The head of every man is Christ. Now, Pastor, why would you put this in order of least difficult to most difficult? Because, guess what? Men are rebellious. Oh, yes, you are. Don't argue with me. Men are rebellious against authority. This is why the military, by the way, is so good for men and and why churches thrive in military cities because there is something broken when you go to boot camp. They are trying to break you, to drive out this rebellion from your heart to submit to authority and so when a man goes through a boot camp like that he learns how to obey a command from an officer all of a sudden he comes out on the other side and and uh, you know he comes into a church and the pastor says live for God and he says yes sir many churches thrive in military centers because of this right here because the rebellious streak is broken but listen that's not easy that's not easy This is the most difficult of the three for a man to be submitted to Christ. This is why oftentimes when a church is planted, pastor goes to start a church, him and his wife, they're out there. They've got a tiny little building. They start a Bible study in their home. And guess who are the first converts? In most cases, it's women. Women, it seems, have an easier time submitting to the will of God. I hear these testimonies of how a couple will get saved. And it's 90%, probably, in my experience, 90%, the women, the woman gets saved first. As we're doing these interviews with pastors who are just recently launched from our, from our conference, you know, on our podcast, we've been doing these interviews. I've done six of them so far. And in three of them, three out of the six, I ask them how they got saved. And they said, well, my wife got saved first. And she gave me an ultimatum. And she said, if you don't live for God, I'm leaving you, you big jerk. And then they got it through the thick skull. Oh, I have to be surrendered to Christ. So I can drive the bus. And oftentimes, listen, this is the hardest one for man to be surrendered to be Christ. So what man needs to do, he gets behind the wheel of the bus. He needs a Holy Ghost GPS. It's so funny that now here we are in 2020, you you hardly know how to drive without a GPS. Used to be we had these maps, you know, that you would fold out. And I'm of this generation that, you know, knows what it's like to be an adult before all of this technology. But now, you know, people growing up, they have no idea what life is like before we have smartphones who tell us where to go all the time and what to do. And now you can just, uh, you can say, hey Siri, take me to Walmart. And boop, 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 it points all the things and finds the traffic and it directs you around and tells you where to turn. And, and all of a sudden you're there. See what men need this morning. Men need to submit to the Holy Ghost GPS. Have you ever found yourself arguing with the GPS? that's not the right way. Are you an idiot? I use this app called Waze for my, uh, for my directions when I'm on long trips and Waze is a pretty good one because what it does is if there's a wreck up ahead of you, it'll, it'll recognize that. And before you even see anything on your screen, like if you're, uh, one time I was traveling, uh, up to Washington DC and I know to get to DC, you just stay on 95, right? Just stay on 95 and you'll get there. And so all of a sudden, I'm looking at the GPS, and it's telling me to exit 95. I'm like, that's not right. I've got to stay on 95. And it said, no, no. And, and I'm passing one exit. And it says, no, you, what are you, stupid? And I pass another exit. Exit now, exit now, exit now. Well, There was a reason why it was telling me to exit. And I figured it out after I skipped that exit and this exit. And I got off. And guess what? There's a line for 10 miles because of a wreck. And now I'm sitting there stopped in traffic on the freeway, can't escape because I didn't listen to the GPS because I said, no, I argued with the GPS. No, that's wrong. I have to stay here. If I would have just listened. Now, sometimes you listen to the GPS. and That's a whole nother sermon. But what men need is to submit to the Holy Spirit. When Christ is the head of man, then we become good bus drivers, man. Ephesians 5, verse 22, we're going to close. Ephesians 5, this great instruction from the word of God for families. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Many men use that scripture as a hammer on their wives. Didn't you read what it said there, wife? Wife, submit to your husbands. Well, just keep reading before you use it as a hammer, because there's a jackhammer coming your way. Verse 25 says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So Paul says, true love is death. She'll be very willing to submit to you, brother, if you die for her. If you would submit yourself to Christ, if you'd quit being rebellious as the GPS is saying, turn now, turn now, get off, go the other way. And you say, nope, driving right through. No wonder she's not submitted to you. If you find yourself quoting that scripture to your wife on many occasions, maybe you ought to look in the mirror and ask, am I submitted to Christ? Is he driving the bus of my life? This Roman centurion, remember that Jesus said, had greater faith than all of Israel. Where did that authority come from? He says, the only way for me to have authority over others is when I am under the authority of someone else. See, this is true in every arena of life. In the military, who are the ones that they promote to greater ranks? The ones who are good at following orders. In the kingdom of God, who do we promote? Those who are available. Willing and surrendered to the will of God. If you, brother, want to have a home, a wife in submission to you, children who are in submission to you, you better make sure you're in the passenger seat and that Christ is in charge. Is it easy? Heck no. Sometimes he'll take you places that you don't want to go. Sometimes you'll need to be corrected. Uh, Please sit down, sir. Have you ever had the? Uh, you're on an airplane flight, and the and the you know somebody gets up to go to the bathroom, and it's not the right time. You know, it's landing or takeoff, and and uh, everybody's supposed to be in their seat with their seatbelts on, and somebody stands up, and you hear it over the over the. Uh,
0: uh, everyone needs to be seated.
1: But I gotta go to the bathroom. Sometimes. The Lord will have to correct you. Sit down and stop trying to drive. The godly submission of a wife only works when a man is submitted to Christ. But when everyone is in place, it is a beautiful thing to behold. When Christ is submitted to God, When man is submitted to Christ, and when woman is submitted to a man, I tell you, this bus can go places. Destiny can be achieved. I was interviewing one pastor, Pastor Paul Whitaker, and and as he was describing how God called him to the ministry, and he was saying, you know, I went to this, uh, this Bible conference and I felt the call of God and I talked to my pastor. And he said, well, you're going to have to do these things if you're going to be a pastor. And he, he, so he said, I started putting my life together. And so as he was telling me this story, I asked him, so, so what about your wife? Was she on board with this whole idea? And he said, no. <laughs> she thought it was a bad idea from the beginning, he said. And, and he says, but eventually along the way, I tried to show her and explain to her, God has called me. He said, I didn't wildly turn the bus, but I led her, and eventually she decided to follow me. And we were launched out as a couple on Friday night of conference. That's a beautiful thing. When a woman would submit her will, see, that's dangerous, that's difficult to be a passenger, Well, well, he's going to go do something that seems wild and crazy. I talked to Bob Alvarez last night. Pastor Bob Alvarez, who's been here to preach. And he's going out to pioneer again (laughs) after 35 years in the ministry. So it's one thing to pioneer a church when you're young and 25 years old. And what he's explaining to me now that he's 60 years old, he says, you you guys are going to have to pray for me because I don't have... The energy that I had in my youth. It's going to be a hard thing to pioneer a church at 60 years old. And he made a statement that's still sticking with me. He said, I have to give most of the credit to my ministry success. Here's a guy who's had a lot of ministry success over the years. He says, I have to give most of the credit to my wife. To my wife, Colleen. Because she's been willing to follow me Every step of the way. I want to tell you that is a beautiful thing in the eyes of God. And I want to encourage you no matter where you're at, no matter what stage of life or what you're facing, you need to surrender. You need to give up your desire to drive the bus. Say, Lord, I want you to be in charge. I want to express my faith to you. By being submitted to the authorities you've placed in my life. Let's bow our heads this morning.
0: We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button. At the bottom of the page, we would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.